Welcome to Celtics Beat. I am Jared Weiss. With me, my co-host, Adam Lowenstein. We've got a great one for you. We're going to talk to Tim McMahon of ESPN Dallas and then Kelly Dwyer of Yahoo Sports Baldo Live Blog. Two of the best places to get information you need in the NBA. Adam, we got uh, this is going to be a really exciting day because we're talking about Rajon Rondo. Well, finally, we got a trade after thousands and thousands of rumors and waiting to see when he would leave Boston. I feel like it's underwhelming, of course, as the natural sentiment is, and I feel like most people have said this, but I guess they got something in return, I guess. Well, you know, we're going to go into that with Tim, kind of get a better understanding for the guys that were brought in here. Uh, But, you know, the Celtics, their biggest asset that they got out of this trade was a trade exception because they can take a 12.9 million trade exception that they just opened up when the Rondo trade, they can partner that with a little bit of residual money from the Keith Bogans and Joel Anthony exceptions, and they could try to bring in a player that's actually that's getting paid a lot of money on a team that doesn't really want to pay him that money anymore. We're looking at you, Greg Monroe, or God forbid, Josh Smith, or a few other teams out there, and they can just take that guy in and give the, give the other team one of their plethora of first-round picks, and that will make the trade a lot easier to work out than trying to match salaries, which is very, very difficult right now. I'm worried that they won't be able to use the trade exception as well as they could because we saw what happened with the last trade exception, the one from the Brooklyn Nets trade. I didn't think that that one came out as that, that well. It, they used it this past summer, and I'm just – I feel like at this point – a lot of luck has to happen in the draft, and really, what's going to happen otherwise? You're going to have to see maybe a middle-of-the-pack season, and we'll see if they're even in the lottery. Well, that begs the question of whether or not the Celtics should be in the playoffs. Before we talk to all these other guys about it, what, what do you think? It's a great question. I honestly enjoy watching the team trying to do what they can do at the end of games, trying to win. And I feel like with this being the second season... I wouldn't mind seeing a playoff team just because it's fun to have the playoff games. I feel like, I guess, maybe the little fan in me is coming out. Obviously, for the organization going forward, you want to miss the playoffs just because that gives you an opportunity at getting an Okafor or just putting yourself in a position to get lucky going forward. But yeah. wouldn't it be fun to actually have a few playoff games in Boston this year? I mean, as the guy that has to be there talking to these guys after the game, it would be pretty nice to see them win a few and, and go to the playoffs to be a little bit more positive, at least, to deal with. But if this team wants to win, this is, this is, they, they can't waste another year of not acquiring a major talent. This is their opportunity to do so. they got to do it. I mean, if they don't acquire a major talent this year, they're at, a, they're at serious risk of not being able to do it again. Yeah, and that's that's the unfortunate part about it, where the team is so in limbo, even though they seem to be rebuilding for a few years now just because of how the team has performed, even though the trade to Brooklyn happened just a year and a half ago, it feels like the team has just not been able to succeed overall in the playoffs for a while. We don't. It feels like a really, really long time since we saw Rondo dominating the playoffs. Yeah, and you know the thing is, Danny Ainge talked about how these accumulating these draft picks, it's it's going to go towards trying to package them together and get something out of it. And and the Celtics have acknowledged that you can't you can't have eighteen draft picks when you have a fifteen man roster. So unless unless the roster is going to be expanding to twenty five players sometime in the near future, the the eighteen draft picks are not going to be too valuable for them over the next four years. They're going to need to package that stuff together. I asked Danny Ainge in his press conference Friday night whether or not that they're looking to try to use those picks to move up in the draft 
or try to make them trade sweeteners to get a better player. And he gave me this really incredible detailed answer of uh, both. Well, that that's... was it. That was the whole answer. It wasn't very detailed <laughs> was... at all. I, I I paused there just because I thought maybe there was something there was something that would have been said. No, because... that's it. That's the that's into the mind of Danny Ainge on that one. <laughs> the, the when I look at just all the picks, it's it's crazy. It makes your head hurt because not only are there so many conditions that you have to think about in the first place, but just the number of first round picks that you see, whether it's the Clippers, the Nets, or their own over the next six years or so. It's, it's crazy to see, and, and I feel like if there's an opportunity, there will be this year because you have so much backloaded. But it just hasn't happened in a while. And really, the last time I saw a nice little trade swap was when we saw the Kelly Olynyk pick. I enjoyed that one, but that was a small move. We really don't see any big moves that often anymore when it comes to the Celtics. You know, and that worked out nicely, although I really thought they should have gotten Gorgie Jang and just kind of stayed where they were. Uh, and Jang probably would fit this current roster a little bit better than Olenek does just because there's, there would be less overlap at power forwards that are trying to score the ball. But Olenek is proving to be a good potential player. I don't know if he's going to be an all-star caliber player. I've never really been convinced that he was going to be, but he could end up turning into, uh, let's say, a, maybe a less frustrating Andrea Bargnani type or maybe even a Ryan Anderson type, which would be ideal if he could be that kind of player. Uh, you know, but they, they've got so many solid players right now and they just don't have anyone that's going to really make, that they can build around. They've just got a lot of guys that are ready to be put around something. They've got Marcus Smart, which is the closest thing they have right now to someone that can be built around. Pretty much everyone in the league universally agrees that Marcus Smart has the makings to be a really good player. I I just, I don't see the skill set there yet to, to say that he's going to be a perennial all-star. But you combine the good skill set that he does have with the solid physical attributes that he has and the great IQ and work ethic and energy level. He has the makings to be a franchise cornerstone, but he's not at the level that he can be the franchise cornerstone. He's going to be like Rondo, one of the three or four pieces to put around a great player. And where do those players come is really what we're worried about. And it just brings us back to our central issue, which we definitely don't have an answer soon, and we're not sure we will have one for a while. And, you know, the good thing, though, is that they've got, they, they have a major need for a center, and they have a good one in Tyler Zeller. But you know that of all the guys in the starting lineup right now, Tyler Zeller is probably the one that can be replaced most easily with a great player. And there's a lot of really good centers in this draft coming up. You have Jaleel Okafor that looks like he could be a David Robinson or Patrick Ewing, which would obviously be the most ideal kind of guy to bring in here to Boston. But there's a lot of other good center prospects towards the top of this draft. And you know, one guy I'm looking at, that I've been looking at for a while now is Miles Turner in Texas, someone that I've been really infatuated with for a while. But he's just he, he kind of reminds me of Andre Drummond in some ways, with just freakish athleticism. He's got some good ball skills. He could pro- he's probably going to have a bit of range in the NBA shooting-wise. And I just saw him in Chad Ford's mock draft as something like 7th or 8th in the first round. So the Celtics can the Celtics will probably be able to get a really good answer down low, and they don't necessarily have to get one of the top three picks. It would be nice not to have to trade for a big man because we know that these big men, the, the ones who go back to the basket, are not going to be, they're not going to come at a short, a small price. It's going to be tough to find them. And, you know, Pekovic, for instance, isn't going to be worth a lot going forward. I feel like it's going to be tough to find one that's not going to be in the draft. 
Yeah, but you know the thing is, I, I love Nikola Pekovic. He's he's fun to watch. He's an exciting guy. But if if you're rebuilding, I I, I would prefer to hold out as long as I need to to make sure that I secure the perfect guy. Because if you get a guy like Pekovic, who's a good scorer, he's a good rebounder, but he's not really a rim protector. He's not, he's not a guy that you can build a defense around. And there's some guys in this draft that you can build a defense around, and you can build an offense around. And if, you, if you're so bad that you're getting yourself towards the top of the lottery, then you, and you're, you're in a situation like the Celtics are, where patience is going to be given to Ainge, to Stevens, by Wick-Rosbeck, and Pagliuca. If I'm in their position, I'm taking my time, and I'm not going to be biting at the first guy that shows up in free agency. I'm going to do what I need to do to get a guy as, lo- as long as it takes, whether it's like Joel Embiid or Dario Saric in Philly, where they're going to wait as long as they want to get those guys to come over. But you want to make sure that you have the right guy coming eventually, because the pick you're making here, you've you got to look at it in a 10- to 15-year window here, not just a, not just a three-year window. So every move you make, you're setting yourself up for a decade now. And you've got to be patient for a few months or even a couple of years because the difference in the payoff over the decade is absolutely drastic. Because if you bring in Nikola Pekovic of this team, they're going to be, solid. They're going to be solid for a couple of years. But if you really hold out and you bring in a really great center prospect, like, I don't know, like Rudy Gobert or something like that, that could, that could really change the entire franchise for a decade. Wow, I feel like... That's really the plan. That has to be it because really they would have gone after somebody if they wanted somebody in free agency through or through a trade. We know the waiting game is what they're playing right now. And that's why they were okay to get a trade exception and a draft pick because they know that that's just another little a little bit of icing that they can put on top of a cake. So rather than getting some sort of big kahuna right now, they're just further incrementally enhancing their ability to make a bigger move when the opportunity presents itself. So I would say that this Rondo trade, of course it's disappointing. I mean, no matter how you spin it, I mean, we're giving Danny Ainge credit for getting what he got, but it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that it's, an, it's a completely disastrous result for such a great player for so long. It probably was a fair and accurate result considering how Rondo was looking over the past couple of years. Absolutely. I feel like when you look at Rondo's performance, and that's what really frustrates Celtics fans, where we weren't sure if he was actually performing on both ends of the floor to his greatest ability. And you look at when he has a contract coming up, and he doesn't know if he's 100% healthy or 100% confident in his health, whether it be the hand, whether it be the ACL, whether it be just an entire body getting ready for a new contract. All right, so before we go to the interviews here, we've got to tell you about the YouTube page. So if you want exclusive content this NBA season, you're tired of the five-second sound bites you get on TV that you get on a lot of places around the web, you've got to go to the CLNS Radio YouTube channel where you get the exclusive content unedited from the Celtics locker room. There's just so much great stuff on there. It's, it's uh, My main mission at this website is to run that YouTube channel, putting up the Garden Report, putting up all the locker room videos with my producer, Kyle George. You get so much great HD quality. We've invested so much time and money and energy into making the picture quality and the audio quality really top-notch. And if you want to get your Celtics coverage, you want to see what these guys are saying and hear and feel what's going on in the locker room, on the court, I mean, you got to go to the YouTube channel stage here in the Celtics uh, fran- uh, damn it <laughs> you know, sex, sorry about that That's all right. you can also catch the Celtics post game show as well uh, after every Celtics game 
It's going to be the dawning of a new age here with the Rondo trade. But you're going to have the same great postgame coverage from CLNS Radio. On one on CLNS Radio Daily, delivered right to your email inbox. It's a CLNS Radio e-blast. So text CLNS fans to 22828 to stay informed on our shows, our guests, the contests, which, oh, God, you're going to love these contests, and much more. So text CLNS fans to 22828. Now, let's get to our interview with Tim McMahon. The interviews on this episode are brought to you by BeatsAndEats.net. So we will be joined by Tim McMahon of ESPN Dallas. The best beat writers in the country. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Stuff there. I, I appreciate the kind words. That's what we do. We overflatter our guests here on Celtics. There you go. That's how we get you guys to come on. So first off, let's start with let's looking at it from Dallas's perspective. This Rondo trade. How how are you reacting as someone that anal- that analyzes the team and covers the team? And then how are the how is generally the organization reacting? Excitement from the organization. They feel like they've got an All Star caliber point guard in their prime who not only is a guy who can help them make a run that what they hope can be title contention this year, but will be a long-term piece. They've basically got a starting five in place now that they feel it stacks up well with any other in the league and that they'll, they fully plan on keeping together uh, for the, you know, throughout Dirk's golden years. Uh, Chandler Parsons and Dirk are locked in the contracts. Rondo and Tyson Chandler both will have the bird rights there. Montel opts out on early bird rights. And Mark Cuban has no problem paying to keep a team that he feels like uh, is this good with this kind of upside together. Obviously, he broke it up uh, in 2011, but completely different circumstances with the, the age of a lot of the key players involved there. So a lot of excitement uh, from the Mavericks. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, my initial reaction when, when the talks are going down is, okay, how does Rondo fit offensively here? This is the best offensive team in basketball. Will, will Rondo be a wrench in the works of that? You know, this this is not a team that needs a point guard coming in and dominating the ball and dribble, 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 dribble. You know, it, it's about flow. It's about, um, really, Monte Ellis being the primary ball handler and the primary pick-and-roll guy. Um, and so I, I'm just not sure how Rondo will fit in terms of the half-court offense, but really liked what I heard from Rondo yesterday. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. He's not one to, you know, just BS and say what's supposed to supposed to be said he's, he's a guy who speaks his mind and he seemed to understand his job is to get them in their sets as quick as possible but you know not uh, not change a whole lot uh, of what's going on offensively he said get the ball out of my hands as quick as possible and more than anything they needed a huge huge upgrade not really on the offensive end uh, at point guard uh, despite Nelson struggling but man defensively they're going from having a huge problem defensively at point guard to having a guy that they fully believe can be the all-defensive dude that he was for four years running, you know, before that knee injury. And uh, they're looking at this now. They've got some flaws defensively. Ellis, you know, Dirk, not not exactly all-defensive candidates. But with Tyson Chandler and Rajon Ronda, they feel like they've got two absolute studs defensively at the two most important positions. And what... As far as Rondo's goal, obviously it's a championship, and he has said he was dying for another ring, mm-hmm. and he wants another parade. Is he going to have to change his play, especially in the offensive end, to really adapt to this team? 
I think he's got to go back to his roots. I mean, you guys watched him where he was a complimentary piece on offense with the big three. He's a complimentary piece on this offense. You know, they're going to have to figure out some ways to uh, kind of ease the, the spacing concerns because he can't shoot. But again, I don't think he's going to lead the league in assists here because I don't think he's going to have the ball in his hands nearly as often. His job is to get them in their offensive sets as quickly as possible and let them keep doing what they've been doing. And when he does have the ball, uh, you know, in, in half-court situations and chances to attack, yes, they want him attacking, but they don't want it, you know, again, they don't want him dribbling it a bunch and just probing and looking for assists. It's about ball movement. Here with the Mavericks, and I think the best way he can help this offense is defend, keep on rebounding, keep on being the best rebounding guard in the NBA as he has been this season, and get these guys out running. If he can get this team out in transition with Ellis, you know, really can run. Chandler Parsons has, I'm going to call it quote unquote, deceptive speed, half kidding, but you know, he's really good in transition. Tyson Chandler runs extremely well for a big man. And Dirk is going to trail and knock down a lot of trailer threes if you can get him out in transition. This this offense, uh, if Rondo helps it, it's because he's defending, he's rebounding on that end, and he's getting him out in transition. Now, we know that Rondo is pretty great in transition, but one thing that he can do well as well as anybody is kind of slow it down and run the pick and roll, pick and pop. And you have this, you guys already, I mean, Dallas already runs the system pretty well when Jameer Nelson was running point, where you could run a pick and roll, a double pick and roll where you have Dirk popping and Chandler rolling. Mm-hmm. And Nelson made that work. But with Rondo, you're talking about a whole different ability to get the ball in there. So is that, do you think Dallas might even slow it down a little bit more so they can work that set a little more frequently? Uh, they aren't trying to slow down anything. I can promise you that. They're, <laughs> they're trying to push it. I mean, again, they, this is a, a starting five that is really built to run with, with Ellis and, and with Parsons. And now they've got a, a point guard who can get them running. That is the goal. Now, once they are half court, they, the Mavericks run more pick and rolls than anybody. Um, and Rondo will be running some of those, but he's not going to be—he's not going to be the primary pick and roll ball handler. That is Monte Ellis, and that's working awfully well for the Mavericks. Monte Ellis is the leading scorer. He's leading in assists. You know, he's not averaging 11, 12 a game like Rondo, but that—that's uh, where. You know, when you're looking to run pick and rolls, it starts with Monte Ellis. I think they, you know, they've been looking to get Chandler Parsons as a pick and roll initiator, uh, give him more opportunities to be a playmaker. He's still going to get those opportunities, and I don't know that Rondo will get more opportunities than Shamir Nelson did. You know, Nelson ran some, but uh, but not a whole lot. Um, and and that's the biggest challenge. How does Rondo fit in the half court sets? How does he fit playing off the ball? when the ball is in the hands of Montel's and Chandler Parsons. That's what Rick Carlisle is going to have to figure out. And that's going to, you know, there, there might be a rocky transition period. They might actually get a little worse as a half-court offense. But if they get better defensively, if they get out in transition much more often, then uh, that more than makes up for, you know, some, uh, some process that they'll have to work through, certainly in a half-court situation. What's really interesting about Rondo's success with Boston was when they were a low-paced team. Now that they're a high-paced team, he's actually struggled. More of, obviously, the pieces that were around him. But really, with the pieces, they were a slow team with the big three. And now they're a fast team with a young Celtics core around uh, Rondo. When he goes to Dallas, he's going to have to try to combine both of those. Is that going to take a lot of time? Is it one of those things where Rondo's going to have to work along and they're going to really gauge his minutes to start off? How is it going to work with him? 
Yeah, I don't know what his minutes will be, but he's starting from the get-go. I mean, this is their guy. Devin Harris is their sixth man. You know, J.J. Brea, I think his minutes will decrease because, you know, I fully expect Rondo to get the kind of minutes that he was getting uh, in Boston or at least very close to it. Again, I mean, there's going to be a transitional period without question. There was when Jason Kidd came to the Mavericks, and, I, it took a coaching change to get that right. I would say the uh, the good news here is, uh, like Kid, Rondo's a basketball genius. I think you guys would certainly agree with that as far as his IQ, his vision, all those sorts of things. And Rick Carlisle, to me, is one of the smartest coaches in the league, so I think it's going to be fascinating to see Rondo and Carlisle working together with a veteran uh, cast around them um, I'm really curious to see how, how the Rondo Carlisle combination clicks because it's two guys that are kind of used to being the, the smartest guys in the room that uh, have a little intellectual arrogance about them, you know, can, can rub folks the wrong way, aren't necessarily worried about hurting feelings. And so I'm fascinated to see these two guys put their heads together and even occasionally butt heads. Now, obviously, Rick Carlisle doesn't need to be moved to make this work, but do you think that... So, Ronda's defense has been notably not existent compared to what it was earlier in his career. Do you think that that's going to come back out? That, one, his offensive responsibility is going to be limited much more than it was previously, and two... He's got Tyson Chandler behind him, so he can he kind of can uh, he doesn't have to worry about what's happening behind him or how they're defending they're hedging the PNR nearly as much as he's had to for the past few years. Yeah, I think having Tyson Chandler behind him obviously makes a huge difference. I think being uh, in the West on a, a, a team that has realistic expectations to to contend now, and hey, there's going to be really good teams knocked out in the first round. I'm not sitting here predicting the title run, but the Mavericks are very much in the mix in the Western Conference, I don't think you can question that. And I think that makes Rondo a much better defender. How motivated was he when they when they trade KG, when they trade Paul Pierce, when they start rebuilding? And, you know, you can be professional. You can go out there and, you know, try to give 100%. But, I mean, subconsciously, are, are you telling me that that was a fully motivated Rajon Rondo that you guys have seen since they went to rebuilding mode? Oh, God, no. I, I don't see any way. And, and just like Tyson Chandler last year with the Knicks, when their season went south, and look, Tyson Chandler wasn't a defensive player of the year candidate by any stretch of the imagination last year. There's some health things, too. But uh, get these guys in a, in a contending situation, let them escape rebuilding situations. I think we saw it with Jason Kidd after he got traded to the Mavericks as well. And, you know, these are dudes who are ultra-competitors that need to be in ultra-competitive situations to get their best, and it's ultra-competitive for a point guard in the Western Conference. Hey, all they're asking them to do is slow down Russell Westbrook and CP3 and Steph Curry and Damian Lillard and Tony Parker and Mike Conley and Gordon Dragic and Ty Lyon. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. He's going to have to bring it every night in the West or, you know, he very well could get embarrassed, and I think that's going to bring out the best in Rondo. And let's shift to the other side of the trade. We have Jameer Nelson, Jay Crowder, and Brandon Wright heading to Boston. Of course, Wright seems to be the guy who is the top of those three coming to Boston. What would you say is the best thing for Celtics fans to know about these guys and how they'll fit in, especially for this year and if they are going to be going forward? Yeah, I mean, Jameer Nelson is a, is a good vet. Good locker room guy. Uh, I don't want to badmouth him, but he, he can't play anymore. You know, I mean, he can knock down some spot up 
shots, but defensively, boy, he, I mean, they might have downgraded going from Jose Calderon to him defensively, and, and that's hard to do. Um, but he'll, he'll be a good guy to, to have Marcus Smart around and that sort of thing. Uh, Jay Crowder, uh, Matt's best draft pick in a decade, not standing on the same praise. Um, but he, he's got a chance to be a, a nice kind of dirty work, energy glue guy uh, for a while in this league. I would say his extreme upside would be to be a Bruce Bowen type of guy. He's got to work on his three-point shot, develop that, but he's got some real defensive potential. Uh, what, you know, As much as everybody talked about Sean Marin, he was the Mavs' best wing defender last year. Um, so you know, he's a nice little uh, piece. And then Brandon Wright, Man, Brandon Wright is, is one of the great success stories as far as reclamation project in, in the league in recent years. You know, he comes to the Mavericks, former eighth overall pick, had all kinds of injury problems, went you know to Golden State to, to the Nets, and they, you know he was just kind of on the scrap heap. They pick him up, uh, and they developed him into a really, really good niche player. Um, Twenty-minute-per-game guy. There's certain teams he can't play against. You know the Grizzlies, the, the Spurs, the big physical front lines because he's just overmatched physically. But he is fun to watch. I mean, he is a phenomenal athlete, one of the best finishers in the league. Um, if you've got guards who can fill the lob, he can go get it. And he was, you know, you go from a reclamation project to being the centerpiece in a trade for a four-time All-Star. Uh, that's pretty good. Now. How much of his success was based on the system, was based on playing for Rick Carlisle, was based on playing a lot of minutes with Dirk, who obviously completely changes uh, the gravity, so to speak, on the floor. Um, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll find out. And you know, I, I'm not quite sure how he'll fit with Boston as far as that goes, but I, I do think Brandon Wright, if, he, if he's not a great fit in Boston, I would think there would be some contenders who'd be interested in having a guy who can be that efficient coming off the bench and uh, and really making a difference offensively. Now, so do you think Brandon Wright's the guy that sticks around? You know what? Like I said, I think Brandon Wright for Boston, his his value might be that they could flip him again before the deadline. Um, I, I don't again. I, I don't know exactly how he fits up there. I'll be honest with you guys. It's not like I'm watching a whole lot of the Celtics. Um, my, my league pass is very selective when it comes to the Eastern Conference because you guys play ugly basketball out there. <laughs> but uh, So I'm not sure exactly how he fits, but if it's not a good fit for him with an expiring contract, with his ability to completely change the spacing, you know, I, I've heard Eric Spolster and Steve Kerr refer to it as vertical spacing because he's such a threat, diving hard to the rim, rolling to the rim as a, as a guy can go up and get lobbed. I really think he could be an asset that Danny Ainge might be able to do something with uh, before the trade deadline. I, I, and, and maybe it works out for him in Boston. You know, maybe he ends up being kind of a nice, uh, a, a nice fit with the, uh, the the Gonzaga kid. But um, uh, Jay Crowder has a chance, I think, to be a guy who is, is uh, again not a huge impact player for the Celtics, but he could, I could see him being a really nice role player if he if he stays in Boston for a while. All right, so swap out the Celtics for the Mavericks on your league pass selection there, and be sure to go to ESPNDallas.com so you can read everything from Tim McMahon. Thanks for joining us, and uh, that, that was some really great insight into how things look from the opposite side of the trade. I appreciate you guys having me.
Celtics fans, we have the Garden Report with locker room reporter Jared Weiss. Oh, that sounds familiar. Watch Jared following every <laughs> following every Celtics game. You can see Jared and his clash of characters at TD Garden in high definition on the CLNS YouTube channel. It's simply the best Celtics postgame coverage, period. We're more like a group of guys on the clash of characters, I'd say. Fine, jeez, okay. Whatever alliteration you can come up with on the spot. Uh, yeah, we got uh, we we had a really good episode we did before the game talking about the Rondo trade on Friday, and then after the game, Julian Edlow and I went upstairs up up amongst the banners, and we talked about how Rondo is not getting another one with the Celtics, and wah wah, it was very sad. But we also broke down what's going to be happening with this team going forward, and then took a look at that game and how they looked in their first game since Rondo left. So definitely go check that out. And then you can find us on the Garden Report on Facebook, but you got to find CLNS Radio there too. So you go to the Facebook page for CLNS Radio and like it, share it with all your friends, um, that person that you haven't talked to in 10 years, that you're Facebook friends with them for some weird reason, share it on their page. They'll be confused by it. Uh, you can follow CLNS Radio on Twitter. Uh, Stats Adam is on Twitter, at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss for me. Go follow us there. Interact with us there. Get involved with the programs. We always love talking to you guys. So let's get to the second interview now. Before we do that, be sure to read Larry H. Russell's piece on the Miami Heat ahead of the Miami game on Sunday evening. It's definitely a must-read. We'll even talk a little bit more about that later at the end of the show and around the NBA on 5. But now... We're going to do our interview with Kelly Dwyer from Yahoo Sports Ball. Don't lie. Uh, I check it pretty much every single day. It's an absolute must-read if you care about basketball or if you just care about your life in general. So, Kelly, thanks for joining us, man. Man, I wasn't aware that I was in charge of uh, you know helping people's day-to-day life operations, but uh, that's good to know. Thanks for having me on. People don't understand how important blogging is to the central human experience, of course. It is it is a seminal part of our daily routine, and I'm I'm happy to play my part in it while working from home in basketball shorts and a hoodie. But uh, <laughs> yes, again, thanks for uh, thanks for mentioning that. Okay, well, we brought you on because obviously you can cover just about any single topic in the NBA, and there's so many things to talk about right now. Now, it's weird that the uh, Boston, for the first time in a long time, is back in the center of the NBA universe because the Rajon Rondo trade has implications beyond just the fact that a superstar moved, but the fact that what, a guy that I just called a superstar is obviously no longer construed to be a superstar in the NBA, and it's probably one of the biggest declines in trade value that I've seen for a player pretty much at least since I started following the NBA. As someone that is covering on a national perspective, what, what, what was it like seeing Rondo's decline, and how do you think that played out? You know, for someone without an off-the-court problem, with someone who you know doesn't have issues, uh, uh, you know, outside of the actual realm of basketball, it was pretty shocking. But with that in place, then I'm not saying Dallas made a bad trade. Far from it. I, I am still kind of shocked at how much Boston got for him. I am kind of shocked for a free agent coming off of. You know, the ACL tear playing terrible basketball this year, you know, a 42% true shooting percentage or whatever it is right now, to get a potential, even if it is sort of a middle-of-the-road first-round pick that's probably going to take place in 2016, you get a second-round pick, to get another trade ship in Brandon Wright, they can still move on, you know, for a you know, a solid player or a lower-rung first-round pick or some desperate sort of analytics-driven team that thinks they're one Brandon Wright away from going over the top next February. I'm I'm really surprised they got this much for Rajon Rondo. And and I'm honestly coming from, if you'd asked me in 
you know, September, had they got it, would they be able to get this much for Rajon Rondo in, in December? I would be surprised. That's not even taken into account the, the fact that he's been pretty miserable this season and he hasn't, you know, played, he hasn't been anywhere near an approximation of, of what he used to be before the tear and, and, and before the, you know, the hand injury. So it is, I, I'm trying to think of someone else who fell off as much. It's, it's hard to think of one that, you know, didn't screw up outside of basketball, but yes, yeah, it's, it's been pretty remarkable. And I think Boston did a really fantastic job at that, uh, you know, the squeezing the most of it, uh, that they could out of this. And when you look at Rondo going forward, it looks like he might be able to revitalize himself in Dallas, as opposed to looking back at his terrible last few years in Boston. Would you say that he is going to be this revitalized Rondo where even his defensive effort will increase and Really, it becomes a team that's worth fighting for going for the finals here for the Dallas Mavericks? Uh, well, first of all, talking about the finals in the West, uh, I mean, this is the team that took San Antonio to seven games last year in the first round. There's, you know, anyone even in, in April <clears throat> thinks they have a really good idea about who's going to make the finals in the West is, is you know, talking out of their you-know-what because it, it, we're just not going to know. This thing is going to be so deep. You're going to have seven teams out in the West that may win 50 games, depending on how well the Thunder come back. So, uh, no, with, with Dallas, there's just no way of knowing. I am, I'm worried about Dallas. I, I, I genuinely am. They, they've done well so far to, you know, to get off to that, that quick start and that, you know, play so well offensively and get up, you know, to the sixth seed or assuming the fifth seed in the East, or assuming the West. Uh, you know, Rondo's going to have to completely reshape his game. He's going to have to basically kind of turn into Brevin Knight. He's going to have to pay, you know, sole attention to defense and give up the ball early on offense and, and, and let Rick Carlisle run things. And he's going to have to do that without the benefit of a training camp. And, you know, coming off of, you know, how many years in a row of basically being the guy that gets to dominate the ball in Boston and, and, and dribble away and, and do whatever he wants. I'm, I don't want to turn this into the Rajon Rondo, you know, rip hour. I don't, I don't want to kill the guy for it, but he, it, you know, this is not a natural position for him to be put in. And, and when you factor in the fact that we're six weeks into the season, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. I don't think that the Mavericks are going to fall by the wayside, but it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a, I'm I'm intrigued to watch. I'm not going to predict that it's going to be a you know a rough pairing because Rondo's a smart dude, but it's it's going to take a while. Okay, so what's your high and low for how this Dallas team can end up uh, playing out through the season? Are we going title or even just falling out of the playoffs for them? Oh no! It, it, I think the West is pretty much set. I think we're going to see the Thunder overtake the Pelicans for the last spot in the West, and you know beyond that, it really is a coin flip. I, I respect the heck out of what the you know, the Warriors and, and, and the Grizzlies have done so far. I respect the heck out of what the Spurs did last year, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's an 18 coin flip when you, when you get right down to it, there's going to be certain matchup options, but yeah, Dallas has as good a chance as any at, at taking three rounds and make it to the finals, but they're also going to be one of eight teams in the West in that regard, you know, unless there's some ridiculous trade that we're not going to be able to anticipate that happens in February. Um, they're going to be one of eight. They're going to be one of eight really, really, really great teams that, uh, you know, should maybe not be disappointed that they don't make the finals, but they're going to have as good a chance as any. So, yeah, but I honestly, I think that was in place even before the Rondo trade. It's just, you know, that's the way the West functions. Where, where do you think Rajon Rondo's value peaked in his career? Oh, that's tough. I mean... You know, when you when you get within a game of the finals in 2012, maybe it was there. And I guess the 
You know, the retroactive hot take would be to say that they maybe should have dumped him in 2013 or, you know, looked to maybe, maybe not on draft night in 2013 when they got rid of KG, but just maybe later on that summer, realizing that, you know, we're not getting a lottery pick right now. All the picks we're getting for the Nets for the next couple of years are going to be sort of, you know, possibly in the middle of the first round or maybe even late in the first round had Brooklyn to turn into a great team. So... You know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, perhaps Danny Ainge should have really looked at the fact that, that at this point, Rajon Rondo would be 28 years of age, and even in a best-case scenario after one rebuilding year, uh, and, and he already knew about the ACL tear at that time, that, that it was possible to trade him. But, you know, he, he took a calculated risk, and, and uh, you know, he... He did okay with it, but it's you know it, it, in retrospect he probably should have you know pushed hard to get rid of him uh, you know coming off the ACL there. And uh, is retrospective hot take trademark? Can I take that one? <laughs> That's all you guys. <laughs> when we look at this Mavericks team, obviously the best team by far in offense in the NBA this season, which I feel like is a little bit crazy to say when you think about just how they've come from just not being a second-round team last year and almost upsetting the Spurs, but just coming out and being a great offensive team, but not being as high-paced as what the Celtics were doing. Is Rondo going to have to slow it down on offense? Is this going to be different from that really high-paced Celtics team that isn't scoring very well, but Rondo really hasn't been part of a good offensive team in a long time? Is Rondo going to have to change his style a lot for this team? Even in his peak, I mean, Boston, listen, Boston has always had a lot of action under Doc Rivers, and they always had a lot of movement. You know, so it wasn't like a slugfest with them, even when they were getting to the finals. But they're seeing getting or getting close to the finals. But yeah, Rondo hasn't been you know the key guy on a great offensive team in a long time. And yeah, he's going to have to reshape his game at a, at an age and in a new situation where that's not going to be easy. He really is going to have to get rid of the ball and you know early in the possession and and watch the Rick Carl, you know, machinations do their work because you know Dallas isn't. You know, Dallas isn't Golden State. They're not killing teams from behind the arc. They're just moving the ball. You know, they're thinking on their feet, and, and, and they're nailing shots from wherever they, you know, whatever the defense allows them. And, and yeah, Rajon is going to, you know, anytime a, a player gets traded to a new team midseason, he's always going to be timid. He's always not going to want to step on toes. He's not going to want to, you know, throw the scent off in the locker room and, and, and you know, start to pound things away. And, you know, so I never thought Rajon would, would, you know, try to pull some of that stuff off. But, yeah, he's going to have to he's going to have to be a different player. And I don't know, you know, coming up on nine years after this guy was drafted, if, if he's going to be able to pull that off. And I, and I hate the fact that I keep, you know, ending these bits by, by, by ripping on the guy. But it's, it's not something that comes naturally to him. And he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to show us a lot between now and April to where, you know, I can think that he can be part of a, a seamless five-man free-flowing offense that, you know, helps, you know, overcome the mitigating factors that are his terrible, you know, outside shooting, his terrible free-throw shooting, and the fact that he still passes up shots in the lane. He passes up wide-open layups if he can get an assist out of it. That's always been a major issue with him. It uh, Amongst many. I mean, he, he does other things, but it's hard to think of another uh, polarizing player along these lines that we... We absolutely, with all the big basketball brains that are floating around out there, we still don't know if this guy is good or bad for a good basketball team. We just know that he wasn't good for a bad basketball team this year, and that's why they traded him. Okay, so over at the Ball Don't Lie website, you had a post on the fact that, uh, spoiler alert for anyone that didn't see the Colbert Report final, but that Mark Cuban 
finalized the Rondo trade while at the what's probably the biggest finale in TV history that I can remember in which Colbert wraps up his nine-year segment for The Daily Show, which I thought was a pretty little long for a segment. But uh, what, t- tell us more about that story, because it's pretty hilarious. This, is, this cannot be the, the, the most celebrated television finale that you can remember. I mean, jeez, I don't want to get all ah, Dennis Miller on you here, but that, you know, if, if, that's the, if a basic cable send-off is the most celebrated and over-the-top one you can remember, then... I'm not saying cel- I'm not saying celebrated, man. but it's the most over the top uh, one I've seen. Let, let me tell you this, son. <laughs> Mitch Richmond was traded for Otis Thorpe and Chris Webber on the night of the Seinfeld finale in 1998. So that will forever be the gold standard for the alchemy between wow. ridiculous NBA trades and and overwrought finales on on television, but. Yeah, okay, so apparently, uh, I, I don't know if he's working on a Blackberry Classic or what he was dealing with, but, uh, you know, Mark Cuban was all, you know, alternately texting with his capologists and, uh, you know, checking out shamsports.com and, and basically signing off on the, uh, the, the, the Rondo trade in the green room at the Colbert Report where he played a cameo role as one of the, you know, myriad semi-superstars that were singing along to this song by a band that I've never heard of that I'm sure everyone under the age of 30 knows about that I have no clue about. Um, under 30, and yeah, never heard of Well, there you go. I, I, I believe there's a neutral milk. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Keith Olbermann, also in possession of a smartphone that can take photos, took a picture of him kind of chomping away, champing away at the bit. Uh, you know, on his on his smartphone and 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 uh, you know, sussing out trade details and basically signing off on it. You know, before he has to go out in his his too tight T-shirt and too tight jeans and and uh, you know, sing along next to a war criminal like uh, Henry Kissinger. Well, you know, skinny jeans, I just don't get them. I don't know why Henry Kissinger insists on them, but it's it's really cool to see that Mark Cuban just cannot be stopped. There's absolutely nothing that can stop him. From either one wearing a comfy pair of jeans and two getting a deal done, and you know hanging out with Joe Montana wearing Skechers, I, I you know I'm, I'm somewhat biased. Mark is not my biggest fan, but uh, you know we used to have ICQ conversations back in you know the summer of 2000. So uh, you know our our, our uh, yeah he's he's always been a little bit ahead of the curve, and and uh, but it, honestly it, it, this is his big payoff. He. he he dismantled a championship team in the hopes of keeping flexibility and keeping a, you know, a fluid roster afloat, and and it hasn't worked out for him in the slightest. But you know, this is his payoff. He's got Dirk Nowitzki playing great basketball at his advanced age, and he's got a brilliant coach. And and uh, you know, if you can add this sort of weird tipping point that no one knows how to prepare for, and no one knows what you're going to get from, you know, all for the price of a middling first round pick and and Brandon Wright, you got to jump at it. Well, Mark Cuban will be bringing his Mavericks to the TD Garden for January 2nd, the first Celtics game after the new year. Do you think it'll be a nice tribute and, and we'll have just a huge overwhelming cheering section for Rondo and it'll just be all happy and everything like that for that January 2nd game? It seems to be the norm these days, which isn't something I, I'm not averse to it. I'm not against it. it, it, it but these, uh, you know, these video tributes seem to you know, be sort of uh, expected for these ex-players. I certainly don't think Celtics fans should, should uh, you know, boo the guy because he, he you know, he worked his tail off. Um, you know, he had to deal with, you know, some incredible locker room forces early on. 
And, uh, you know, yes, he was not, he, well, not, not great. He was awful. This year. He was, he played terrible basketball for the Celtics this year. And he made a series of questionable decisions. And we don't know the impetus behind that. We don't know if he was taking it easy. We don't know if it was just how he thought things should roll out. Uh, you know, no one can get inside that guy's head, but, and I'm not saying he should be, you know, it should be a, we love you coos sort of situation with this guy and, and, and a giant, you know, over the top, uh, thing because let's face it the guy is 28 going on 29 he's going to be back in 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 boston you know however many times before he retires you can't really pull that off any time but if 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 boston fans think they need to round out the booze for this guy don't don't do that he was he was a good player for you guys for a very long time and uh you know just uh treat it like any other game that you're probably gonna lose by 12. All right, we got some sage advice from the wise old man Kelly Dwyer, which I think is your <laughs> now. <laughs> but uh, let's let's go a little national here. So uh, the Western Conference, Dallas is trying to knock on the door, but you've got some teams that have been perennial contenders for a while, and then of course you have the Warriors and the Grizzlies sitting on top, and those two teams are playing at such an incredible level now. I mean, who do you see as your top dog in the Western Conference? Uh, this is a huge cop out, but I I don't have one. I I. I... You know, people were asking in the first week of the season and in radio interviews and such, like, do I think the Warriors are a conference or assuming a championship, Western Championship contender? Like, yeah, but they were that they were there last year. I mean, all these teams were there last year. I think Memphis to miss out on the playoffs this year, not because I think Memphis stinks or that their time was up, but just mainly because I had to pick them as the one token Western team that would have someone, you know, sprain an MCL or, or uh, you know, have a high ankle sprain that would put them out for, you know, a month and then, and, you know, some other team would, would sneak in. It, 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 it is a cop-out to say this, but it genuinely is going to come down to April. Who's going to make the best adjustments in a, you know, in tr- attempting to win four games in, in seven uh, contest. It's it's just it. it uh, we've never seen a conference like this. We will never see a conference like this again if Adam Silver has his way, and and probably for good reason. Uh, the Warriors look brilliant. They're amazing defensively, and they're getting their act together offensively after a you know kind of a goofy start. And you know Memphis, no one wants to touch them, and the Spurs are just sort of waiting in the weed, in the weeds. And and who knows when the Clippers are going to get their act together? And then the Mavericks have got Rondo. So. It, it's. I, I'm just enjoying it. I'm just, it, you know, loving the heck out of these Wednesday night games where we see the Spurs play all these overtime games in a row, and you know Memphis doing what they can against all these uh, teams attempting to knock them off. And it's, it's just there is no top five. There really isn't. I don't think the Warriors are going to drop down to a seventh seed between now and April. They may ride this out until the postseason starts, but I would not be shocked in the slightest if they get knocked out in the first round. We should just. We, there's nothing that we can intelligently expect from the Western Conference right now because it's such a weird and wonderful uh, set of teams. It's crazy when you see the Spurs in seventh place there in the West, and it's interesting. It seems like there's a top seven, and then you have the New Orleans-Oklahoma City-Phoenix situation. So when there's a situation in which you have three teams separated, but they're still fighting for a playoff spot, Sacramento seems to have fallen off that little bit of race there. But those three teams, do you see that there's like a, a top team out of the three just because you think that Oklahoma City is, is all together even though they have a new Durant injury? Is Oklahoma City the best of those three? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, Scott Brooks has kind of gotten his act together this season. It's, it's going to be, you know, knock on wood, it's going to be the Thunder. It's just Westbrook 
no one's played better than Westbrook over the last however many weeks he's been back. He's, uh, I genuinely think if he keeps us up in, in a week and a fortnight, he's going to be, everyone's going to have him as, as the go-to MVP candidate. He's going to overtake Anthony Davis. And, uh, you know, the, you know, I love watching the Pelicans, but they're sort of a win now team that doesn't really have win now parts. And they surrounded Anthony Davis at whatever he is right now, 22 years old, with a bunch of win now parts, and, and it's not going to work out. And that's that's okay because the Thunder, you know, they they were in the finals a couple of years ago, and they probably should have been in a couple ten since then, were it not for unfortunate injuries. So yeah, the Thunder are going to pull away, and and, and we're going to see one through eight pretty much just the greatest playoff bracket we're ever going to see and which is kind of unfortunate because on the other end of it sorry to rip on your guys but you know the Boston Celtics are currently the eighth seed in the east and that's just absolutely ridiculous oh rip away I mean it's it's one of the weirdest things I can remember seeing covering the NBA is just the fact that a 10 and 14 Celtics team I mean the fact that the Celtics are 10 and 14 considering how they look most of the time is kind of shocking but it's really a testament to the Eastern Conference or in the case of Minnesota, the Western Conference. But the the imbalance has gotten so out of control that the credence uh, is getting stronger for a lot of these realignment uh, claims, uh, or at least these calls for realignment that guys like Cuban are talking about, even if the realignment would be very beneficial for the ones that are crying wolf the loudest. You know, it's for the longest time I wanted to wait it out. I mean, listen, I remember the Sports Illustrated NBA preview in in 99-2000, and they were <clears throat> destroying the NBA for having it be a Western-only league and how all the great players were going over the West and no one was left in the East. And that was, in 19, that was October of 1999. And, you know, so for us to still be dealing with it, you know, low these many years later is, 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 is nuts. I, I, you know, there are various, there are ways to get around this, and, and Silver, in my estimation, would not be wrong to possibly... Wait out what Danny Ainge does. Wait out what Hinky does. Wait out to see what the Bulls and Cavaliers do. Wait out to see what Hennigan does in Orlando and, and, and see if these guys, you know, can turn it around somewhat. And, you know, if Tim Duncan finally retires in the year 2022, the things may balance out a bit. But, it, yeah, for I mean, it, this is a relatively young league, but for this to be going on for 15 years, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty hard setup. And, you know, there have been some great, listen, I think the Rockets won 45 games in 2001 and missed the playoffs. So this is like a new thing that, we, like we saw last year with Phoenix. And uh, as you know, the Celtics with, uh, I don't remember what year it was, I think it was a Gary Payton year, won like 36 games and maybe eight seed in the East. And it's just, it's been ongoing for various reasons. There's no obvious set, you know, reason outside of incompetence by a lot of owners and general managers, but you know, beyond that, it's just this unfortunate series of events that has led to this. But I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think it's unfortunate for for you know huge NBA you know nerds, if we're honest, but just the Knicks that that watch these elite pass games and and are going to you know rue the fact that we can't watch Goran Dragic beyond uh, April sixteenth. But you know, one more year of this, and it's just uh, I'd yeah, something has to be done. So really quickly, because we only have a couple minutes left here, the tanking seems to have just become endemic maybe in the last few years. Even though it's always been around, it seems like it's been hastened really just for the last few years. So should the NBA really respond? I mean, if you look in the big picture, a few years is kind of a small portion of the entire sample. So do you think the NBA should be responding to such a, such a large, major reform that's so long-lasting to just kind of a small period in which this is happening? 
No, because tanking's been going on for ages, and uh, it's just that the media has, has we've, you know, we have a voice that we can send out in 140 characters or less, endless times a day. We can write any column that we want whenever we want to. Um, it's it's not fun. It's not great, but. You know, the, the Bulls tanked for a couple of years in the late 90s and, and early part of the aughts, and then after tanking for a couple of years, they traded a 20-10 guy for Tyson Chandler, who was 18 years old. Uh, you know, Orlando did the same thing that, you know, the year before to try to get Tim Duncan and Grant Hill. It's been going on for ages. I mean, teams would genuinely try to lose games, which the Sixers aren't really doing. The players aren't. But in the early 80s before the lottery, they would genuinely try to lose games. It's just something that's happening right now because the league has gotten smarter about not wanting to you know, covet 45 wins as the ideal. And, you know, the Sixers, those prospects may not work out. And Boston, I'm worried about them because, you know, they have a, a, a you know, a heap of, of upcoming draft picks, but they all, the first rounders all seem to be in the middle of the first round. I don't know how that's going to work out for them. I don't know where they're going to get their superstar from. And the same goes for Orlando, but it's what you have to try to do. And fans are getting smarter and I think they understand that. And I, I hope the, uh, you know, the NBA doesn't, uh, you know, sort of bend to the whims of haughty cable TV guys that go over the top about this stuff. I, it's fine. It's a recent phenomenon, and the league is evolving and thinking on its feet. And I, I hope it doesn't get too rash, which is, you know, with its, uh, you know, take on the matter. And Kelly, for our last question, you mentioned earlier that you know the Celtics. It's amazing that they are in the playoff race right now, and they kind of crazy. They have one of the best scoring margins in December thus far. Do you think the Celtics make the playoffs? And when you talk yeah. about their draft picks, should they? Well, I don't want to, no, they shouldn't. If I'm going to be cold about it, as someone who doesn't have to, you know, put on the green and white every night and, and root for that stuff, no, they technically shouldn't. And, you know, listen, they're in the playoffs right now because they've beaten three cupcake teams in the last three games. But um, it's just such a weird team, and it's such a, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen with them. But you look at the Nets, they're so dispirited. The Magic and the Pacers probably don't want to make the playoffs. The Hornets may give up on on Lance Stevenson soon, and the Pistons and Knicks and Sixers are obviously out of it. So it's it's definitely possible. I, I don't think, you know, apparently, you know, Danny Age has done well, as you can see on the, on the current team and as you can see on a team from a decade before with these mid-first-round picks. He's done exceedingly well with, with finding prospects in that realm, and, you know, so I wouldn't be too worried about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just what do it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making the playoffs with a 37 win roster and having some fun with it because they're not going to be they're not going to have the chance to lose enough games to you know shoot into the top three of the lottery this year. It's just not going to happen. So you know, might as well root for the team and, and hope for the best with uh, you know number 44. There we go. Optimism from Kelly Dwyer, and I'd say that's probably 25 of the most exhilarating moments of our collective lives there. So Kelly, thank oh, you so much for making God. it happen. I need to get you a Netflix account or like a Sly Stone album because that's just the saddest thing I've ever heard. I appreciate you saying that, but uh, <laughs> let me make you a 25-minute mixtape and then we'll figure it out from there. Okay, thanks for having me as on. As long as it's on cassette, that's all I work with right now. There you go. All right, thanks a lot, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Cheers, take care. Okay, well, that does it for our interview with Kelly Dwyer, which was brought to you by BeatsAndEats.net. And you know what that means now, Adam? Yes, what would that be? It's Around the NBA in Five. All right, so first off here, the Miami Heat are facing the Boston Celtics. Chris Bosh, who was kind of a laughingstock for a while, 
is definitely not that guy anymore. I know he's not going to be playing, but I mean, Adam, your take on Chris Bosch finally kind of getting back to being the dinosaur he once was. Oh, very nice there. That was a nice dig. I think even with the calf injury, it's really cool to see that the Heat were able to hold on to Bosch because that's a great centerpiece. And I, the Celtics wish they could have somebody like this. You know, Larry Russell talks about the retooling of the Miami Heat. He's a big part of this retooling, and they signed him big, and we're lucky to keep him from going to Houston. And, you know, you gotta, we'll just promote Larry's article instead of giving our own analysis here, so go read that. But, I mean, it's really it's great to see that Bosch got his chance to kind of regain his reputation there as a leader, and he's doing a good job with it. Now, Miami isn't on top of the Eastern Conference. They're actually 12 and 15. They're not at the, at the moment of this recording, so they're disappointing a little bit. But he at least is kind of showing that he's still a really good centerpiece player, and if that team had more talent around him, they could be competing better. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of weird to see the Celtics and Heat back-to-back in the standings here, but maybe they'll both make the playoffs. Yeah, it doesn't matter how bad those teams get, they'll always be battling neck and neck, apparently. Oh, absolutely. And then switching over to the Western Conference, we have the Houston Rockets have acquired veteran swingman Corey Brewer from the Minnesota Timberwolves as part of a three-team trade. What do you think of this trade? Well, clearly, uh, Daryl Morey saw that uh, Jay Crowder was leaving the Western Conference and knew this was the time that Corey Brewer could be the missing piece for Houston to take down Dallas. That's the only <laughs> explanation I've got for this one. I mean, he's, Houston isn't getting what they want out of Francisco Garcia, so it, it kind of made sense for them to go for a guy like Brewer. Brewer's been a real trick-or-treat player throughout his career, but when he's on, he really is on. He's a difference maker in a playoff series, so it was a solid move for them to make. Yeah, good history in the college where he had the double championships in Florida, and then you have him with the Dallas Mavericks as a part of that championship team back in 2011, so good experience there. And they shot by the Sixers to get involved. They're like that little guy at the playground yelling, hey, can I play, can I play, can I play, but they don't contribute anything, they just get to play. So nice job, Sam Hinkie. Okay, so Paul Pierce was talking about the Wizards' defense, talking about building ahead, building habits for the playoffs. It kind of sounds like the kind of stuff he would say when he was in Boston. But the Wizards definitely look for real, if there's anything that that overtime game that they have with the Celtics proved, is that John Wall is an absolute superstar. Bradley Beal was weak in that game, but Bradley Beal is turning into a stud. They, do they have the makings to really be a title contender? Well, if the Bulls and Cavs are going to continue to struggle, maybe they'll get home court throughout the playoffs or something. This will be crazy, but given the regular season being an important piece to what they can do going forward, it'd be nice to see if they can rack up some more wins because they're really taking this season really well, and I feel like John Wall is in the upper echelon now. Maybe he can really show it in the playoffs, and maybe they'll make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and could be the Finals. See, Danny Ainge should have traded Rondo for John Wall when he had the chance. Hey, you know what? Maybe they just needed to keep going with these trades earlier and earlier. Maybe we'll just see Brandon Wright gone tomorrow. That's true. By the way, never was there a chance that they were getting John Wall. But that would have been nice, though. Yeah, that would have been nice. And what's crazy about just this whole trade season that we're going into and the Celtics actually being in the playoff picture is that now we actually have the Bucks being in the playoff picture as well. What is Jason Kidd doing right? I don't know. My brain just fried when you said that. I have no idea what's happening there. But apparently Jason Kidd's the greatest coach in NBA history because the Milwaukee Bucks were... They were a, they barely could have beaten uh, the Kentucky Wildcats probably last year. They would have done it, but they barely could have. This year, you look at it, they're a solid team. Giannis Antetokounmpo finally got that one down. He is, nice. he is I know his nickname's a Greek freak, but he's just the the, the earth freak. I mean, the, the guy is absolutely unbelievable. Ta- uh, skill-wise, uh, physical-wise, I mean, everything is just unbelievable about him. And he's, getting, he's very quickly moving into a potential superstar status. And I'm, I'm amazed that he's 
turning into that player, but it looks like his prospect profile is going to be superstar at this point. They had Jabari Parker go down for the season, but he's another one of those guys. They've got a lot of really good young talent, and they got a guy like Jason Kidd that these guys really will believe in because Jason Kidd has proven that he can get it done. And it's a different situation than in Brooklyn, where Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, it's mostly young guys that are basically going to look at him and go, okay, well, this is Jason Kidd telling me to do this, so I guess I have to do this. Definitely not bad. Seeing them as sixth in the East, if Larry Sanders can be the center that most people thought he was going to be, we don't really know really where his career is going to go, but they have a lot of pieces. Absolutely right. Okay, so I guess last thing here really quickly, Jermaine O'Neal potentially going back into the NBA with the Dallas Mavericks. I love Jermaine. I miss Jermaine. I can't wait to see this happen. Well, quickly, what is your take? Well, it seems like Rondo was the guy that really spurred his interest. So if Rondo is going to be able to reunite with O'Neal, I, I feel like they're not going to be on the court that often together. But I like Rondo more with Tyson. But it's just nice to have a guy off the bench like Jermaine because he can just give you that depth. They need big men. That's a big thing for Dallas, especially when they lost right. And that was a big episode of Celtics Beat. So let's end it there. So that's going to do it for us. The music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astrovex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. So thank you to our guest Tim McMahon of ESPN Dallas and Kelly Dwyer of Yahoo Sports. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Adam Lowenstein, Stats Adam, I'm Jared Weiss. See you this Sunday with two special guests from Celtics Life for another edition of Celtics Speed exclusively on CLNS Radio.
forget the day and dream of a girl I used to know. I close my eyes. 